talking about um, at the core of our vision here, you know, to, to raise up game changers. You just heard Gianna say that as well, that we, we, we know that the Bible is clear uh, that we are created for a purpose, that every one of God's children who has his spirit breathed into them is assigned purpose and destiny. We have great things to do in this world for God to impact this world but it requires, it's necessary that God's empowerment and his Holy Spirit be with us and strengthen us in order for us to walk that out and to carry that out. And, uh, and you know, we've got to be passionate about pursuing a relationship with God. We have this great privilege, this great opportunity that our God, our creator, our Father in heaven, he's not a God that's just sitting up on high and and often some distant place, that he actually chooses to be in a relationship, an intimate, close, personal relationship with us, with his children, that we can know him closer than any, any earthly relationship that we could have, that he might lead us and guide us every step of the way in our journey, that we can have, uh, be full of his power, full of his wisdom, and accomplish these great things in this earth that we could never do on our own. You heard them talk about in that video that humility is recognizing that we can't do things in our own strength and realizing that we need God, but it's also at the same time having the faith to know that with God, nothing is impossible, right? And so there's this awesome relationship that we get to enjoy that sometimes people uh, never even partake of in the way that we should. They don't pursue that. It's like religion is an ideology or it's a, a ritual or something methodical that they go through and never truly experience the beauty and the richness and the wonder of this personal relationship with God himself that drives everything that we're to do in our lives. In fact, many times we, we people, we can make the mistake of almost compartmentalizing things in our lives, right? We say we've got a, a compartment for work, and then we've got a compartment for family, and a compartment for fun, and then we can make the big mistake of com- making a compartment for our faith and for God. And it's like, okay, you know, that switch is on when I'm in church, and then that switch goes off whenever I'm here in the workplace, or I'm here in my home, or I'm doing fun things with my friends, like that's not the time for this. This is, this is a compartment over here that's only in certain times. But listen, the problem with that is there's never a moment in your life that you're created to live. There's never a breath that you've been meant to take that you would do apart from and separated from the very life-giving spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. That's why the Bible says, and I don't, this is one of those statements that when you read it, you read it and you're like, what am I to do with this? Like, This means what it says. This changes everything. The Bible says in the book of Acts, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. 
That is everything about who we are, from the breath that we take to the steps that we walk in to the thoughts that we have. In him, we live and move and have our being. There's not a compartment for your faith. Your faith is the resounding, presiding, enveloping thing that... that that wraps around everything of who we are. You need your faith to be present and active in your career, in your home, in your relationships, and in everything that you do because we will always run into situations where a response, a measure of faith is necessary from us to advance the will of God in and through our lives through the things that we're facing. And if we are void of a response of faith and our response is purely natural or worldly, then we will never see the victory and the advancement and the fulfillment of the purposes that God is assigning to our lives. Are you with me so far? So we've been talking about this idea of vision and purpose that God has and raising people up to, to know this and to grow stronger in it. Last week, we talked about how key, a key element to us becoming all that God has created us to be is being planted and building roots down in the house of the Lord, that we have to get planted in the church, in the body of Christ, if you will, in a way where we are growing strong in our relationship with him and we are growing strong in our relationships with other believers. Jesus' life gives us the perfect example of everything we need to know. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus had many relationships. He was friend to many. He was a minister and a teacher to thousands of people. He was intimately involved with a number of friends who he visited and ate with and sat with and he didn't judge them and he didn't not go and spend time with them because they weren't perfect. In fact, he said, for this reason, I have come. Those who are well are not in need of a physician. So his life was an example of befriending and getting to know and, and being a, an example and a witness to all of those that he came in contact with in different ways. But at the core of his relationships, we see that there were 12. There were 12 whom he was close with, who he spent intimate time with, majority of his time with, strengthening them and preparing them for what they were to do after he was gone. And then we see that in our lives, we also need to have a group of core relationships that we require the, the need for community. God's created us that way and that we sharpen and strengthen one another, that we help to add salt and flavor to each other's lives that is needed. And when we're planted in rooted in a community of other believers of faith, then we have that surrounding us to strengthen us and sharpen us and to help us ultimately become all that God has created us to be. It's a key element in his overall plan for our lives. So I want to read for you the scripture that we talked about last week and we'll pick up and go from here today. It's in Psalms chapter 92 verse 12. It says that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 
Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. This picture that we see, flourishing, growth, expansion, becoming stronger and more mature through the maturing and aging process over time, like these trees do. They grow upright and straight. They are strong, and, and, and they mature and become broader at their base, and their root systems get stronger, and they're planting in the soil, and storms and winds can't knock them to and fro and move them around. This is a picture of our lives and our purpose that as we grow with God and in our faith and with one another, we are like cedars of Lebanon that grow to be statuous trees. That's a picture of how our faith ought to become, not some weak faith that is absent and void in the situations of our lives, but strong, powerful, mountain-moving faith that we can move through adversity in this world and actually live more aligned and according to the principles of heaven than the principles of what this world would dictate or say. Because we don't serve a master of this world, we serve a master of a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom, and we have rights of that kingdom, and if we walk in the fullness of our faith, we will live in this earth more consistently with what heaven says we ought to live and who heaven says we are than what the world says we are or how we ought to function. Are you with me? These trees and being planted and rooted, guys, reflects that, you know, we are here not to just come and find a church that we can go to and attend on Sundays, and we kind of like it, and we really like the pastor. I know that's the case here, but I'm just saying... <laughs> That's not what's important. It's not. It, it really isn't, guys. It, it's a component, but it's not what's important. We need to get fed. We need to receive the word in truth, undiluted, nothing added to or taken from. We need our, to be fed and strengthened and taught. That's why God gives us teachers in the church. But listen, if you are missing the fact that all of those around you, look around right now at who's on your left and your right and in front of and behind. If you're missing the fact that this is as critical of a component and a part of you becoming who God has created you to be, then you're missing one of the most vital things the Bible tells us we need in order to flourish in our purpose and our calling of who God has created us to be. If we're separated from community with one another and building relationships together, then we will be missing one of the things that adds to and strengthens and helps to move us in the direction of where God is wanting us to go because he uses us in each other's lives. Amen? And so we see this awesome picture of these trees, you know, being rooted and flourishing and they flourish because they are rooted and they are connected and firmly planted among one another. And I want you to go today, open up your Bible as well if you have an amplified Bible. Um, if not, we're going to put it on the screen. And we're going we're gonna, uh, to teach from Philippians chapter 1 and verses uh, 5 and 6. And so let's just read this first. And this is Paul. He's writing this letter to the church in the city of Philippi. He says, 
Verse 5, I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up until the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Let me pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, strengthen me, God. I ask that you would just speak through me. Help me, Lord, to just decrease. Let let anything of me just get out of the way right now. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Speak to us today in a way that's fresh and powerful and relevant, but consistent with who you are, your unchanging nature. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's one of the beauties of God. One of the miraculous mysteries of God is that his word and his relationship with us is always fresh, relevant, timely, current, effective in every situation that we are in, yet he is also unchanging. He is unchanged. He never, he's never going to change from, when he, from, from beginning to end. God is, is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. It's one of the most miraculous things that he could be unchanging through all the eras and dispensations of time, yet in every breath we take, every day we wake up, and everything we face in any part of our life, God is there, and his word is there, and it's fresh, it's sharp, it's timely, it's penetrable, and it will accurately be able to lead and guide us through any situation we will ever go through in our entire lives. Isn't that a beautiful, amazing, blow-your-mind kind of thing? I love some of those mysteries of God that we can't really fully peer into and gaze upon, but one day we'll see for all that it is. Amen? So let's talk about this story or this, this letter here, I should say. Katie says I need to stop and take breaths every now and then, so I'm, I'm trying to pause at moments, okay? <laughs> It's really hard, I got to tell you. So, <clears throat> so Paul's writing these, this letter to the church in Philippi. Now, the context of this is really important, so I'm going to spend a minute and kind of build this up for you so you can see the situation. He's in a prison, most likely, that's what we historians and theologians agree, that he's writing this letter from the prison in Rome, and he's toward the end of his journeys and his evangelizing the gospel and apostling the church and uh you know his his stop at rome was toward the end of his life and so he's already went on three missionary journeys and then this trip to rome was kind of like the fourth big trip that he took now he's in prison there awaiting trial and it's about 61 a.d 60 61 a.d so christ has you know ascended to heaven and all that for a number of years, and the church is, is spreading and is, is on fire despite all the adversity from Rome to squash that movement out. It's, they can't stop it. And so Paul's in this church in Rome. He's writing this letter to the church. Uh, he's in prison in Rome writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And in about 10, 11 years prior to this letter being written is where this all first began in Philippi. So there's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 16, you may be familiar with, and Paul is, you know, moving along and evangelizing different parts of, 
the Eastern world, and he has a vision while he's conscious. He has a vision, and he sees a man that is from Macedonia. As he says in the vision, come, the man says, come to us in Macedonia. We're in need. And so Paul obeys because he knows that this is a vision from God, and he goes to Macedonia, and that's a region, and in the region of Macedonia is this city called Philippi. It was unevangelized. It wasn't part of the, the Jewish territory, if you will. So it's one of the early stages of getting out and evangelizing the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And Paul sees this vision. He knows that he's supposed to go to Macedonia. It even says that there's a lot of adversity and things that get in the way that try to prevent him from going and interrupt his path. Yet he still perseveres and continues. And he gets to Philippi. And he's with this dude named Silas. Um, he's one of his, his partners that he's helping to fulfill ministry with in this time. And him and Silas, they go and one of the things that they do once they get there and they begin to build community and relationship with other people, they share the good news of Jesus because, you know, nobody's heard it at this time over here. And they're sharing the good news. And there's this woman in Philippi who has a demon possessed. She has a, she's possessed by a demon and she is a fortune teller, a psychic, okay? And she's got these fortune pimps if you will, who are like proselytizing, they're making money off of her. I don't know if that was the right term for that or not, but, you know, you can understand what I mean. So they're making money off of her ability to tell fortunes, and that ought to tell us something right there, that the demonic is real and that those types of things are nothing to mess around with or to deal with, but they're also nothing to be afraid of because we have authority over that. But when you talk about psychics and fortune-telling and mysticism, listen, trust me, those are dangerous things to get involved in and to flirt with and to be tempted by. You need to stay clear of that stuff. But you don't need to be afraid of that stuff either because you have authority. And that's what Paul and Silas demonstrate. They go up to this woman, and I love this. It actually says that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but Paul gets like annoyed by this woman. He gets tired of her nagging and hearing her, right? And so he, he gets annoyed by her, and he turns around and casts the demon out of her. Boom, it's gone in Jesus' name. When was the last time you got annoyed with somebody? In Jesus' name. Oh, that's just you. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you got to practice, right? You got to, you know. So Paul, he casts this demon out of her. And, uh, and so she can't tell fortunes anymore. She can't give people, she, she's no longer an effective psychic. And the psychic pimps, they get all upset and they come in and they, they get all mad. They get, come on, focus, guys. <laughs> Brokers, yes. They get all mad because now they can't make money off of her. And so they bring Paul and Silas to the magistrates, the authorities, and they throw him in prison. They throw both of them in prison. They beat him really bad, too. It says they beat him and whipped him and everything. So they're busted up really good. They get tossed in prison. And, and you know, think about it. if you're Paul, you're like, Dude, God, seriously? Like, I just cast a demon out of a woman and now I'm in prison. I just got beat. But you know what? That wasn't the response that they had. The Bible says that in the 12th hour, 
at midnight, that they were in the, the prison cell and that they were worshiping and singing praises to God. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you had something happen so bad as to get beaten and whipped and tossed into prison for something that you didn't deserve and all you could do was sing and praise hymns and praises to God? That's what they're doing, right? And that's a an example of faith. And while they're doing it, the Bible says that suddenly, suddenly, like boom, onto the scene in the midst of praises and worshiping God, suddenly a great shaking of the earth and the chains were broken off of them and loosed and the doors were whipped open of the prison cells and the prisoners were freed in the midst of this whole situation. And Paul and Silas come on out and it says that the guard the, the guard who was watching over the prisoners began to grow deeply afraid because he felt he would likely, he would have been executed for the escape of these prisoners under his watch. And he's getting ready to shove his sword into his stomach. And Paul says, dude, hold up. Don't do that. He sa- That's not probably exactly how he put it. But he's like, wait a minute. That's not what you need to do. He says, you know, he gives God glory. God is doing this. And then the prisoner says, what do I need to do? Or the guard says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul says, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the message that we bring. And you need to be baptized. And at that moment, it says that that man went out and he was baptized. And the rest of his household was saved and baptized. There was a revival in one man's home, one man's family. And here's the whole point that I'm trying to build up to is that that moment, that movement, Paul putting put into prison, positioned him perfectly to reach this man. And that man and his family were the first huge spark, the ignition to the church taking off in the city of Philippi. Now, all of a sudden, there is a movement that begins to happen, and the church is beginning to grow and expand. And so now, Paul is writing this letter 10, 11 years later. He's been all around the world a number of times and back to Philippi several more times, and he's writing this letter to these people in this church, and he's saying these things that we just read about God who began a good work in you is going to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 8, he says that I long and I have affection to come and see you, though I cannot. That tells us these weren't just acquaintances, guys. They weren't just people that he run into and kind of bounced into contact with. When they began to do life together, they got connected. They began to build deep relationships. They began to stay close and sharpen and strengthen one another in the pursuits that they had that God was leading them in their life and ultimately to fulfill his will for his kingdom. We also know when we study that church of Philippi that it was one of the earlier churches that didn't err off course or get diluted into like false teachings and all kinds of sinfulness that they drifted off in because there were churches that did that and Paul had to come back around and say no I had to he had to rebuke those things and correct those things and strengthen those leaders back up but Philippi happened to be a church in a place that actually grew stronger and more mature they really were cedars like Lebanon that were growing upright statuous righteous in their uh, walk with God and the church was growing and expanding 
standing as a result of what was happening there. Isn't that amazing? And so you've got to see. It's so important. You see all that history, all that relationship, all that kingdom work and, and building together that was being done as a result of their connection. And as, as that was happening, they were all being grown up and fulfilling and flourishing in the purpose that God had for their lives and for this church in the city of Philippi. Are you with me? So listen now. Let's break this down. He says, first of all, in verse 5, I thank my God for your fellowship, your cooperation and contributions in advancing the good news from the first day you heard it until now. So what is he, what's, what's going on? They are intimately involved together in several things here. They're involved in fellowship, community, relationships with one another. These aren't superficial fluff. I'm going to put on a facade and be who I think you want me to be and pretend I'm somebody else. Relationships, these are real. I'm going to, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going, to, I'm going to be willing to be who I am, knowing that I'm not perfect kinds of relationships, which is what it takes. Those walls got to come down before those relationships can ever go deep. That's the kind of stuff that they were built on. That's what their history was, in, was engaged with. And it says that they also partnered and contributed to the advancement of the gospel. You see it's a great mistake or myth that many people sometimes have to think, yes, I love Jesus, he's my savior, and I go to church, but I am not really a kingdom builder. That's the work of certain people in the church. Wrong. You will never hear me say that in this church. Every person who has a purpose in a destiny, who has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them, is meant for community with one another in relationship. But make no mistake, we are all intended to fulfill a part of the work of building God's kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven. We all play a role in that. And that's what was going on. They were engaged in kingdom building work, all in their own unique way. You know, we all have different personalities in different gifts. The way that you or I or the person next to you go about serving in the house of the Lord and edifying the church and reaching the lost is going to look different. That's a beautiful thing that we celebrate and so we know that they're all engaged in helping to advance the good news of the gospel. They're building God's kingdom. Listen, don't try and put a little box around what kingdom building work looks like. Because when you go to your job and you testify and you witness to that person next to you who doesn't believe and you share your faith... That's kingdom building work right there. When you talk about what God has done for you and you testify to the changes in you and you share what he's done in your household with other relationships and other family, that's kingdom building work. When you see someone on the street who is in need and who is hurting and God says, give to the least of these, you give to me. And when you obey and you give, that's 
Kingdom building work. Are you with me? There is a key component of being engaged in advancing God's kingdom and building uh, his will in this world that is a part of us being able to flourish and grow up strong like these cedars of Lebanon to fully realize these purposes, this destiny that God has on our lives. There isn't anyone who's outside not doing kingdom work, not engaged in community and relationship in the body of Christ, who could say that they are truly flourishing in the purpose that God has for them in their life. You can see it as clear as, I hope you can see it as clear as I can see it here in the written word of God. Paul's saying, I thank my God that you participated with me, that we fellowship, we built real relationships, and that we partnered together and we built the kingdom together. Because as a result of all of that, verse 6 comes out. He says, I'm convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, breathe, Matt, will be... (laughs) will continue until the day of Jesus Christ the good developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion you see the moment god's spirit comes to live on the inside of us the moment we're born again regenerate in our spirit man that moment is the moment god begins the good work in us and through us And then it says that he will continue to perfect. So that word perfect could be a little bit of a stumbling block for people because it doesn't mean that we are ever in a place where we are perfect like God. That's not what that suggests. This idea that he's saying of God will perfect. Other parts in the Bible, Paul says that we strive to be able to present every member of the body perfect in Christ. Jesus said, you know, be perfect as your Father is in heaven. It doesn't mean that we are perfect like God. What perfect means is it, it suggests a process, a continuation, a gradual movement of a process that is furthering and, and going more and more towards a place of completion, a place of completion. So here's what we got to understand We've got to be engaged in community. We've got to be engaged in kingdom building work. And when we are and we're seeking God in relationship with him, that God is in fact more than we can ever see with our own eyes. He is in fact doing a good work on the inside of us that is defined as the Bible talks about as God's work of perfecting and preparing and growing us more and more into ultimately the people that we are created to be. That we are going to continue to be more and more a reflection of his son. That's why the Bible says that we continue to be transformed more and more into the image of his likeness. It means that we literally begin our lives to look more and more through time as God is perfecting us to look like Jesus looked. If we grow in our faith, then we ought to resemble that more and more through the ages of our lives, maturing, growing stronger, becoming solid, upright members of faith in the body of Christ, doing battle against the enemy and subduing him under our feet in the place where he's meant to be and as we do and as we grow strong as this is talking about there is a point and this is where I want to finish up today because I want you to gaze into this you know this is to me this is like rich powerful stuff 
there is a place when we get to, when we go beyond this world, when we die, our bodies are, are decomposing in the earth and we go on to be in heaven, then we will actually taste and see what perfection looks like because heaven is the perfect place. We, the, the, Paul puts it this way. He says that right now we see kind of like through a glass dimly, like through a clouded lens. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is imperfect will pass away. It's like when we step onto the other side, we've been in preparation, we've been in growth, we've been in maturation all this time, becoming stronger and stronger, but never fully perfected. But then when we step into the other side and we're with Jesus, now it's like a veil falls from our eyes and we begin to see everything as it is. I am looking forward to that glorious day when all of these thoughts and questions that are mysteries to me begin to open up and I can peer into his goodness and his glory and see for what it really is. But there isn't a perfect state for any of us ever. Thank God. Takes the pressure off, right? We are being perfected. We are never perfect. There is a time of perfect that is coming, and it's when we leave this earth. Listen, compare this side to this perfect, to the process of being perfected, and you will see that in this world, in this life, we are always trying to grow closer to God, to be more intimate in our relationship with him, to know him more, to understand him more. It's all that part of that growing and maturing and being perfected process. But when we get to heaven and we go to be with God, we are never Outside of his presence, we are always with him in a perfected state. He is always there with us, and we are always there with him in the fullness of his glory that we can't possibly see in this human body and in this worldly environment. Isn't that amazing? There's a perfect, and then there's a process of perfection. Think about even our physical bodies, guys. This is unreal. But we have these physical bodies that the Bible refers to as our earthly or natural tents. And they are a deteriorating, decomposing, withering body. Some of us are more aware of that than others right now. (laughs) But look, is this body created to last forever? No. None of us will make it forever in this body. No one. These bodies are created. The Bible says that there is a glory of God's creation in all things. So there's a glory to this beautiful body that we're to honor it and respect this temple and treat it right. But, but it's not created to last forever. It's the inner man that God is more concerned with than the outer man. He's transforming the inner man in order to be more and more like his son. But the Bible does say that when we leave this earth and we go to heaven, we actually get new bodies. Did you know that? It says that we have these earthly bodies that get sown into the earth so they get Bodies get buried, and then they decompose, and they turn back to the dust of which they were formed. And so they go to dust. These earthly bodies go away. But it says that we have spiritual bodies, heavenly bodies. So our spirits are joined with a new heavenly body. Listen, perfect versus being perfected in the perfectness. That spiritual body, no sickness, no disease, no sin, no depression, No anxiety, no grief, 
No sadness. It doesn't exist in the perfected state. In the process of being perfected, we are growing stronger in our faith and our ability to have authority over those things, to know that, that they cannot command us, that we command them. But it's in that perfect place where all of that is gone and we are not troubled or trialed with that type of adversity any longer because it's perfect. And those heavenly, or those spiritual bodies are created to last for eternity. Can you think of that? I mean, they look a lot like how I look right now, I think, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That was bad. Anyway, there's spiritual bodies that, that still reflect the image of God. I think they still look like the bodies we have now, but they're perfect bodies for our spirit that will last for all of eternity. But let me jaunt you with something really quick. That spiritual body that is created to last for eternity there is an alternative, unfortunate side that unbelievers will experience if we don't accept and receive Jesus. The Bible says that those who don't know him will be cast into the lake of fire. It will be eternal damnation and torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a real place and it's a real thing. And it's hard to hear, but it's just the truth according to the word of God. And so when we see that people are cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, that spiritual body that they also get and inhabit is a body that is prepared to, to endure through eternity, the torture and the, and the weeping and the torment and everything that goes on in the pit of hell. That, that spirit, the, the earthly body would be destroyed. It wouldn't be able to withstand it. But the spiritual bodies that we're given are created ultimately to be with God and to be imperfect. But if the alternative exists and people don't accept Christ, then that body is prepared for them to endure eternity of suffering, of torment. And ultimately, the worst part is eternal separation from God. Did I hit you with that a little hard? Okay, so listen, just to wrap it up, guys, we are engaged in a process of being perfected by the author of perfection himself. The Holy Spirit is intending on, he won't do this forcefully, he is intentional and desires deeply to do a work in us all through the years of perfecting and preparing and using us to accomplish his will on this earth, ultimately, guys, so that more can be there when we get to the perfect place. It's to this end that we labor. If not, we'd all be there the moment that we receive the message. There's a work left to do. The Bible says that the will of God is that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. So God doesn't want that alternative outcome. It grieves him. Even us, we sometimes think, yeah, you're going to get it, you know. Some people are like that. But that's not the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God that one person would spend eternity apart from him. But the solution is that he wants to use us to grow us up strong like cedars in Lebanon, to be mature and strong in our faith, engaged in kingdom building and in community with one another to become all that we're created to be, to flourish. We'll have 
all of the more happiness than we could ever dream of in our life, but it's really not about us anyway. It's about the work that God is doing from a kingdom vision that's broader and bigger than any of us could possibly ever see. It's an opportunity, it's a privilege that we can actually partake of this, and it's something that we need to recognize. I need to get planted, I need to get connected, I need to be engaged in kingdom work, I need to be thinking about heavenly things, not worldly things, and that God will continue to do his divine work of perfection in and through us, through all the years of this life that we're walking on this earth, and we will all, at one point, be able to taste perfection and see the fullness of God for what it is one day. Amen? Amen. Does that compel you to say, 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 just say this with me. Say, I am a kingdom builder. You know, that's not fluff. That's not hype. That's not something that just sounds really good, although it does sound pretty cool, I got to admit. But it's not about that. It is as true as true gets from this word right here, which, guys, ultimately is the only thing that we have to hold on to. It is the only constant that can guide us and lead us in our steps to be able to become who God has created us to be. Take this out of the equation. We don't have anything. It's like grasping at air. You bring the word of God into your life, and then you secure a firm footing and a foundation from which you can stand on, from which your faith can grow up in and grow strong in, and you build community with one another who are believers in the body of Christ, and nothing with God, nothing will be impossible. I believe that there are things so great that God has planned for each and every one of us, so great, so grand, so impacting, that you haven't even dared to think of them yet. Isn't that amazing? God's plans for us will always supersede our greatest imaginations of what we can think of on our own. Stand to your feet with me today.